Hey guys, before we jump into this episode and this new series, we just wanted to let you know that we had a little bit of technical difficulties and our microphones came unplugged somehow in some way. But everything recorded, but just through our audio through the computer and not our microphone. So the quality is not to our liking, but all the content is there. Um, we hope it doesn't bother you too much, and on the future episodes, hopefully it will not happen again, but we wanted to give you a warning before you jumped on in. All right, enjoy this new episode and new series. All right. Susan. Hey. Welcome back. Hey, thanks. Is it a new year? It is a new year. Thank goodness. Is it a new you? Absolutely not. <laughs> same old me, new year. That's the best New Year's resolution. I'm going to stay the same. <laughs> I have succeeded in that one for years. It's great. Yep. It's so actually we... pretty hard to do. New year, same me. Challenged everybody. Try to not change this year. <laughs> Is that a good challenge? No, that's like <laughs> no. very anti-Christian, actually. Um, <laughs> but it would be a difficult challenge if you're up for challenges. I think you'd even if you like locked yourself away for like you would yeah you would come out insane. <laughs> that is actually really interesting. There's no way to go through a year without changing. Yeah. Well, speaking of which, I have a question for you. Bring it on, I'm ready. Uh, speaking of locking yourself away, um, what was your greatest high through COVID? So everybody's got a low, but what is your high oh, moment? Eat that? Now that's easy for me. It, uh, well, okay. I had a baby. You did have a baby. Easy. It was Lydia. That was unstoppable. Though. Like, that baby was coming no matter what. How about the fact that she's a girl? I didn't know that. That was like a fun... <laughs> I have one. I know. I know. Yeah, uh, that one's that, unfair, that, that Yes, that's mine. a great one, and it's definitely it's a high, unfair. but uh, uh, outside of that. Okay. Um, so, because of COVID, we were so isolated, and I have two little boys, and I personally don't like to be at home, because I would rather go be outside somewhere. And so Jack and Luke and I would make it our goal to go somewhere new every day and explore it. So because Kent was working at home, I could like put Lydia down for a nap and then disappear for like three hours. And so it was, I mean, it's not very long, but it was something I could do without having to like- Wait, you would disappear for a nap for three hours. Is that what you just said? Like, Lydia would be down for an hour. Oh, and Lydia would be down. <laughs> yeah. I thought you would. I'm like, no. oh, three-hour nap? No. That sounds exhausting. No. It's like you no. wake up and it's time for bed. <laughs> no, no. Lydia would go down for, like, a three-hour nap. And I would take the boys, and we'd go somewhere we'd never been. And so one time we went to Babbler State Park. I'd never been there, didn't know anything about it, and got there and, like, okay, unless you're, like, a picnic. I couldn't really tell what we were supposed to be doing there because I didn't know any trails. But we found this bridge. So we walked 
this bridge, and then we saw the bridge was over this creek. So we jumped over the bridge, and we waited in the creek for, like, over an hour. It was so fun. We found frogs, and, like, I love that kind of stuff because that's how I grew up, but watching my boys have so much fun, and, like, it was one of those things where you didn't want it to end. It was like, ah, oh, this is such a fun day, and, like, we hadn't planned any of it. Yeah. Like, that felt like a high of, like, just one of those days that we were just doing something dumb and, like, walking through a creek in the middle of the woods where <laughs> I really wasn't sure where we were. Um, and watching them have so much fun. That was that was a high moment for me this summer. Yeah. And I love water, so. Water, woods, fun with boys. It was great. Yeah. Do you have Sure. I don't know if I have a specific high. Uh, I always say, like, this time has been really sweet to slow down and be with my kids in such a state where they're growing up so fast and by you know arriving at my third child um i've been able to spend this like year almost um with him in such a developmental stage and i'm grieving that i didn't get to do that with my girls but i'm rejoicing that i get to do that with my son and still with my girls but they're just older uh, so that's just been awesome to slow down and actually be present with my kids and my wife and um, really just take it all in. Um, even like the boring moments of it. Like I haven't really had a ton of time to be bored with my family. And there are those things like what happened to you where you just have those things that just stick out. Like all of the memories of childhood, I have some really like crazy stories but all the big moments in childhood are all those just little things that you did. You, know, you went to the creek, you went over to the neighbor's house, you played basketball till the sun went down and then you kept playing some more and all that type of stuff. It's just like, it's like a coming of age story. And I felt like I was able to slow down and see that coming of age story for my children. Yeah, it's, it's a huge gift. I think those are, I mean, Those are hopefully going to be the things that stand out the most of, like you said, the everyday, some might say mundane, but the average things that are going to come out of this of, like, good routine, sweet, slow moments that actually were really yeah. cool and, like, grew our families and grew ourselves. And yeah. Just kind of stuff to say. Yeah. And I, I think when you think about uh, today's culture uh, with social media and technology and always being able to see... Uh, the exciting life of other people and that's what you get when you watch somebody else on social media or whatever you get to see the most exciting part of their day or the most exciting part of their life otherwise they wouldn't film it and post it um, or it's just a total facade you know whatever it may be and so we're kind of ingrained and especially teenagers are ingrained to you need to be living at that high moment all the time and if not am I really living life um, and in some sense, at least for us adults, we've been able to kind of zoom back and see like, well, like the best part is the slow part. It is just the day to day, just being present with one another. Um, and I've seen that with our teenagers. You know, I was talking with my D group last night and someone's um, high for the, the week was like, uh, yeah, I was I had to slow down this week because I was put in quarantine and it was awesome. Um, who would have thought, you know, a teenage boy? Uh, how awesome it would be to slow down and really just take things slowly. Um, I think it's really cool. Uh, and uh, so I've, I've spent a lot of time just 
dwelling and thinking about COVID. And I think it's wise for us to do so because this is like a turning point in our culture and this is a turning point in the world of how things are not going to be the same uh, after this and during this. So uh, if we sit and dwell like how this has affected um, our culture, uh, I think it'll do us, uh, do us good. And I really do think there, I don't know if there's more good than bad out of this, but there's definitely some good things that'll come out of it. Absolutely. Like I remember at the beginning of all this, uh, an official being like, life will never be the same or something, you know, saying something kind of like what you just said and it scared me. But at that point, I didn't have the ability to see that maybe some of the things that come out of this are going to be really awesome. Like yeah. instead of like understanding, for myself, understanding boundaries in a way that like I couldn't unless there was this giant global boundary yeah. that was made for me that I like actually really needed this time in a, in a big stop. Yeah. Was mandated for me. That was like growth happened out of it, which was really good. So yeah. like you said, like, some of these things are going to produce really good things for even working people. Like you get to be home more and actually see and know your kids. And I see that, like the effect of that in our house too, of when Kent's done at five, he's already home. He doesn't have to drive home and like have a 10 minute conversation in the parking lot. Like he's home at five and that has changed the culture of our family like mm. in amazing ways. So yeah. I'm thankful. Yeah. So all of, all of these discussions and, and thoughts and just time to like dwell on it really made me think like this isn't God's first go around with the pandemic. Like how has he handled, handled this specifically in the past? And, you know, my mind, you know, I just let it go where it needed to go with that. Uh, and I really um, like I felt like the Lord was just revealing to me like met a lot of his work and a lot of his goodness came out of moments of restriction. Uh, so his people were uh, put in restricted states, and from those states um, came out his work. So uh, as an example, I've, I've quickly looked up um, captivity or imprisonment or enslavement, whatever it may be in, in the Bible, and there's tons of examples, but I pulled out just kind of a you know front-to-back look at what does God do um, in moments of captivity or restrictions or whatever it whatever it may be. So I'm going to list off a few of these and I'll read. The first couple are, are a little bit longer, um, but as we keep going through scripture, they get a little bit shorter. Uh, so uh, just bear with me. And I want our, our listeners to really dwell on this a little bit. So I'm going to start with Genesis 39 uh, verses 20 through 23. And this is what it says. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the, into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Uh, we keep going, and a little bit further into the uh, scripture narrative, we're in Exodus 1. So the story of Joseph um, has concluded, and if you don't know the story of Joseph, and, you know, he has this moment of, you know, imprisonment, but then we see, like, later in the story, Joseph prevails because of the Lord dwelling with him. 
Um, and then uh, we jump to Exodus 1. And it says, Now those arose a new king over Egypt, who did not know Joseph. So the, the time of Joseph and his success had come to, come to an end. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over, the, over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Python and Ramses, but the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel, so they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves, and made their lives bitter with hard service, in mortar and brick, and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. We keep going into Daniel. This is Daniel 1.1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem to and besieged it. So we've jumped to Israel. So this is a huge story gap. But um, we've jumped to Israel coming out of Joseph's story into enslavement. And so the people uh, of Israel became enslaved. And then we know that story as the Exodus story where God delivers them out of those things. And then you, you gain this whole national identity. What does it mean to be an Israelite? And it's that association of the Passover and the Exodus story. Um, so God worked with that. And then you, you, that those people develop um, into a nation. And then they're put in exile when Daniel arrives. And then we know the story of Daniel who prevails by his faithfulness and by, you know, the, the work of God through him and using his faithfulness. So that's kind of an Old Testament, very quick overview of moments of captivity and enslavement and restrictions. Then we, we jump to the Gospels, um, and I took an example out of Matthew 27. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in clean linen and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut it in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. So what, what is that? Real quick, Susan. What is? What, what, what did I just read? The, about the burial in the tomb? Yeah, of Jesus. Yes. Going into a tomb, dead, being laid and then put into uh, a, a sense of captivity. Uh, and then we jump into Second Timothy. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And then lastly, Revelation 1.9. I, John, not me, uh, podcaster, uh, John. <laughs> I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. What do all of these have in common, Susan? I mean, in some ways, I was thinking about, I wonder if there was despair wrapped up in that. I'm sorry, I know that's not really where you're going. But you could, yeah, thinking, go on. Um, like, I, I start to wonder what was that like to feel captivity or wilderness. I mean, I agree. I think this is where we're headed in this conversation of the, like, God is doing mighty work um, yeah. in the time that we don't see his hand moving. Yeah. Um, but I also wonder, like, what is it? What did it look like or what did it feel like 
to be in that kind of captivity and wonder where where are you God because because these people didn't have a Bible to read and know all the miraculous works of the Lord yeah <laughs> besides like what they were experiencing yeah um, but that was not your original question the original question is yeah it's seasons of captivity seasons of wilderness seasons of um, I mean maybe it felt like abandonment but maybe too far and heretical but, yeah um, just as God's people uh, disobeyed you know like thinking of that period after the Israelites are free you know like there comes these times in history where like they disobeyed the Lord and he let them go and just this wilderness that was really maybe painful I don't know yeah getting too into what I was thinking of yeah that. <laughs> yeah that's that's the joy of scripture and you can just get lost in it. Mm-hmm. I didn't give this a ton of thought but it was I very quickly just went from Genesis to Revelation. And you can very quickly find moments where God's people and whom God decides uh, to to deliver, um, and he does. But uh, the limitations that are put on these people physically and from the world, so Joseph, who is put in prison, the Israelites who are put into slavery, Daniel, who was put into exile, Jesus, who was made dead and put into a tomb, Paul, who was put in prison, and John, who was banished to an island. And from these people and from these moments, we have great deliverance. And we have God's greatest acts and greatest work coming out of those moments of captivity. So, when you, when you think about that in lieu of what's going on now, in uh, a pandemic or coming out of a pandemic or whether you're just totally done with it, whatever, wherever you stand with it at this moment. Um, we may not have the restrictions that we once had or wherever you're, you're living. Maybe yours are worse now. Um, regardless, God's greatest works comes out of these things. He really works on people's hearts and he works in societies and cultures to transform things. Uh, so I think it would be almost foolish to think that God is not at work. Mm-hmm. And um, I, 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 I sat in that for a while. And we're on our, you know, hopefully on our way out of this. Um, and we can kind of look back in this past year and some things. How has, how has God been at work and what we're doing in the student ministry, but also just in our own personal lives. And we just listed a few things in our personal lives. Um, so I, I want to shift the focus, and this is where we're heading with this series, is what has God really been doing in the student ministry and uh, for us and revealing to us and trying to fine-tune us so that he can continue to use us for his glory and to, to push his kingdom, kingdom further into this world. Early on in COVID, I don't know what to call it, COVID quarantine. Sure. Yeah, early on. Yes. Uh, when we were first restricted, um, I'm an eager person and wanted to immediately not lose momentum. Uh, so uh, we wanted to fine-tune some things and allow the Lord to work through that. And we came up with a uh, leader's manual to very uh, much train our leaders that work in the youth ministry, uh, but also create a little bit higher accountability for each other of how can we better do what we already do 
and allow the, the Lord to work through that. And uh, I had the pleasure of sitting down with several youth workers and interviewing them. Like, what, is, what has been good? What has been bad? What has been hard? All these things. And uh, we came up with a leader's manual based off of um, past and current uh, youth leaders uh, that have worked in our context. And so what we ended up, what was remarkable about this uh, is that every single one of our, the great youth leaders um, that we've had the pleasure to, to work with all had these seven attributes about them. Um, they, there were other things that um, they had, but they had seven things in common. And from those seven things, we, we collaborated and put it into almost a step-to-step -step process of how to become a great youth leader. And that's, uh, Basically, what we wrote is this seven-step process of how to become a youth leader. And we entitled it, Love the Hell Out of Teens, uh, which is, every time I say it, it sounds funny. Uh, but we literally want to be able to love the, the idea of hell out of the people we minister to and love them um, for that. So there's a step process. We can, this isn't foolproof. This isn't scripture. This isn't anything. Uh, we feel like it's rooted in scripture, but and it's... It's helpful for us and we wanted to give that to our parents uh, because we feel like this is um, not something that is limited to somebody who works in youth ministry but really is um, hopefully a resource for anybody that is working with teenagers or living with them or raising them um, and or anybody who's passionate about discipleship we we think that these um, steps or process. Uh, I don't like step guides per se. Um, I don't think they ever stick with me. And so there's some fluidity with this, um, but I do like the clarity of step processes. And so we are going to go through this step by step. And um, one of the, the motivations for us writing our own uh, is we, we write a lot of our own content and we like to come up with our own things and part of that is just our experience and the amount of people we get to work with it's part partly because we're super picky and we know our context really well and we want to be um, mindful of that like there are other great resources out there that point in a great great direction and that's just it we took a lot of the great resources and we morphed them together to create uh, our own content that fits our context well so as we're going through this series and as um, we're working on this podcast, all the content we give you through this podcast, it's not meant for you to you know, take what we say and what we do and just directly apply it to your life and your, your family. It's meant for you to kind of sit with and chew on and then mold it to your context because your family is unique and your, your needs are unique. We just hope that this provides something to help further you in your discipleship with your own teenager. Uh, this is just one avenue, um, and we want to give the freedom. Again, a step-by-step -step process may not work well for your context, uh, but it helps for us as we're training new youth leaders. Uh, so, You're also making a great point because I think a lot of us do a lot of things without intentionality, and this just helps us pause for a minute. You know, like, maybe you aren't, but it, it gives you a minute to pause and say, like, what do I want the culture of our family to be, or my D group to be, or, like, what's motivating me? So I think I think these are extremely helpful. And John kept saying, we wrote this, and <laughs> there is no we about this. John did a great job of writing this, but 
it's really helpful, I think, especially for me. I think I can um, get caught up in the process of things and not slow down and think about what am I doing. So I think this is really helpful to stop and pause and say, like, what are we doing? Why are we doing it? How are we doing it? And hopefully this will be helpful. Yeah. Yeah, and we want you to hear it for your context and um, through your lens of uh, what's helpful for you. So let's yeah. just let's just jump in. Sounds great. Yeah. Again, we, we interviewed uh, several youth workers, and some we couldn't get a hold of, or some we you know just didn't have the time uh, to sit down with every single youth worker that we know. Uh, so we just started to think and process and, and just list off what are some great attributes, like what, what really separates um, the good from the great and the bad and all those things. And uh, it was kind of amazing how these seven things just pop, popped out. So the first one, which was very obvious and evident and um, just seems like you should just fly over and not think about it. But it really, um, our step one in the whole process was fall in love with Jesus. And we meant that in a personal thing, not, not fall in love with Jesus while you're ministering to somebody, but your own personal relationship with Jesus and that you're just utterly obsessed with your faith and um, following Jesus and everything that he has to offer you. And we found that those youth workers um, that had that as their priority before anything else, like their identity is wrapped up in who they are in Jesus, it really created this kind of tipping point uh, to the rest of their ministry. And not everybody said it in that way. Um, I like to kind of romanticize it a little bit, uh, just because it is relational. Um, but some some of the the great things that were said is, I uh, one of the the youth workers said like I know what I have and I know what has been given to me and I'm so obsessed about having it that I don't want others to miss out on it. And that can only be rooted in in somebody who's truly bought into it and like fallen for it, which is just an incredible thing to do. Um, so we, this is where we emphasize um, with our youth workers, like we won't even approach like somebody to work in our youth ministry, uh, to volunteer or a staff member, whoever, if we don't believe this about them. Um, if, if we, this has to be their first marker. Like, are you just completely flipping your life upside down in order to follow Jesus at, at all costs? That doesn't mean just because you are a follower of Jesus, you'd be a great youth worker. There's other criteria that we try to look for, but um, that's a that's a first thing for us, and we think it truly needs to come first. That is one that's like a non deal breaker. Yeah, total deal breaker. Um, non-negotiable. That's I think that's what you're about to say. That yeah. Probably better. Yeah, non-negotiable. Um, I I really uh, when when I started to think about that, I'm like, yeah, I have had volunteers and staff members where this isn't true. And I don't know what they're doing now. I, I, they didn't last long. Uh, they didn't feel like it was meaningful for them. And um, there are other 
people who are great at being present um, with you and were very influential people, uh, but that was to their own doing. Like they wanted people to become disciples of them and not of Jesus. And that, that is the other side of it. Is we have to balance that really, really well. We have to want to fall in love with Jesus so much that we're willing, truly, honestly, to die to ourselves in order for the sake of the kid to, to come to know Jesus. Like, I know, like, I, it's like, I can be the coolest person in the world, but if that coolness gets in the way of this student falling in love with Jesus, I need to lose that coolness. Um, as Paul says, be all things to all men. So that just became such a non-negotiable, and it became kind of like the building block for everything else that came from it. Um, one, one thing that uh, Jonathan Jakes, um, who used to be on our staff, used to say, he's like, we need to be really good at being overflow people. Uh, that we need to be so full, that full of the love of Jesus, uh, that we are just pouring over into the lives of others. Like, you just can't take anymore, and there's going to be stuff just overflowing from your cup. Um, if you just position yourself well enough, your overflowing cup will fall into the empty cups of those that are around you. And it's such a beautiful image of that. It simplifies what we do. It's like, if you just fill yourself up so much and surround yourself with the right people, and you position yourself and be present, just be present about, around people that don't have that, you will just naturally begin to fill their cup. Um, and they're going to want to know why. Like, why are you a source of life for me? And you find you get to pour a little bit more and more, more and more um, into that. And I, I think simplifying that is so important. So as a parent, I think this is so, so important. Um, more important than our jobs to be those overflow people. Because we get to see these students or talk to them very minimally very minimally compared to the amount of time and opportunity you get to spend with your own kid. So the priority we, we hope is that you don't just send your kid to youth group. You don't just send your kid to a Christian school. Um, we, those things are awesome. And it's a way. It's a way for them to be surrounded by the right people. But uh, they're going to get the most if their mom and dad are um, filled up and are pouring into their lives because you are seeing them more than anybody and have had the power to influence them a lot longer. So fill yourself up. Don't be afraid to fall in love with Jesus. Don't hand that off to somebody else. Take that on yourself. And I think it's, um, it's going to turn your house around. Um, and there will obviously be conflict with that because you may be making a decision to, to pour more into your own faith and your kids may be like, what, why are we all of a sudden praying and we never used to pray? Like, why are we all of a sudden having family Bible studies? We never used to have family Bible studies. And you can say, like, I've just become enamored with the love of Jesus. And I just want you guys to experience it as well. Um, whether you believe it or not or accept it or not, I firmly believe in it. And you're my child. And I want you to have this opportunity at least uh, while you're under my roof. You can be that firm with it. Um, and I, I think it's awesome when parents do that. I hope that I'm like that with my kids more often than not. I think um, a good place to start is really thinking about when was that first time you you realized you you the love of Jesus? When was that first time you were like, 
I get it. I understand grace. I understand Jesus's love and what he did for me. Um, and sit there and like those emotions that came to you um, in that moment, like what happened? Like, Susan, do you remember the, the first time you, you just, not, maybe not like I've been a Christian for how long, but like that moment you first realized like the depth of the gospel, mm-hmm. like what was that like for you? Well, I think long story short, I was so blessed to grow up in the church. And so um, I think worship has always been so important to me because it's been a way to um, express something inside that I'm not, I might not necessarily be able to even like really put the words to. So I always remember having that kind of relationship with God growing up. Like that was like the sweetness of his provision for me. But um just some really hard college years and then coming out of that really understanding like all of this is true like in which is John and I did not talk about this or plan this before this conversation but I was just thinking like out of my own brokenness captivity like that whole season of darkness um to come into like I had never I'm using air quotes needed grace. I didn't know that I needed grace. I didn't I didn't feel my own um, brokenness, sadness, darkness, um, and coming out of that with a friend just faithfully walking me through like what what is what is the truth of the gospel now that I feel like I need it in such a desperate way. I definitely remember that for sure. Um, so I would say it, it was a lifetime building up to a really sweet uh, knowledge meeting my heart at the same time. You know, like those things yeah. finally meeting each other of like, oh, I've enjoyed this so long. And like, oh, I didn't realize that I needed this so bad. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a... Uh, yeah, that, that first experience, I was just talking about this with Andrew and, you know, when we you first become a Christian, it's like, you just want to take it, you want to take it all in. Yeah. Like, everything. You're like, what do you have for me? Like, how can I keep this, how can I keep this feeling up? Um, and we, we shouldn't be seeking after that feeling. Right. But more of, like, what caused that emotion. And when we, we dwell on it, we think about it, you're like, what, what is holding me back from, from that joy? And that love. Maybe it's my bit. My my schedule's too busy. Uh, maybe it is. I am really going through something hard, and I just can't see the light at the end of the tunnel right now. Um, and again, that's why we're not. Our faith isn't wrapped up in the way we feel. Uh, but there's something about remembering uh, something that is uh, really good, which is why you know the Lord, even in the Old Testament, uh, He would have His people create festivals and moments of remembrance uh, from the like the little things of set these stones here in this particular place so you don't forget what I have done to make sure every year you throw a two-week party and everybody shuts down and we talk about like what I did in these moments mm-hmm. like that's a part of God's plan for his people is for us to actually look back and celebrate his work on us on the world, um, but also on us personally. So do those things, practice those things, like how's the Lord been at work? That's why journaling is a really powerful thing and meditation and the part of prayer, like why 
you know, thanksgiving and praise are a regular thing expected um, of us when we go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, that's why Jesus prayed the prayer that he did. That's a part of it. We need to, to often let that affect us. So when we're um, uh, in low moments, let's say, uh, things are like you're not feeling it. Um, that doesn't mean like the weight of the gospel isn't as, as deep. Um, but there, or you just feel like, I just don't know what to do with this. It's okay to take a step back and stop pouring into other people because um, at some point you may be feeling drained and you need to be poured into. Um, the life of ministry and working in ministry, that is, um, that's what we call burnout. Um, when you're not being poured into as much as you're pouring out. And that's, that'll get into step two a little bit. Uh, but it's, it's something to be mindful of that you may want this for your kid, but you're not seeking it out for yourself. That should be a red flag for you. And it's yes, okay. That's such a good way to put it. Yeah. And it's okay for you to step back and seek help for yourself. Mm -hmm. um, and I truly mean help, like um, whether you need to be discipled or whether you need to um, seek counseling or whether you need to seek your spouse, whether like whatever it is, like you can't pour into your child the gospel if you're not being filled with it yourself. So fall in love with Jesus. It's a really important thing. And it's very evident in Susan's story and testimony, as it is with anybody, as you ask their testimony, and as it was with mine, um, again and again and again. And it's happened in multiple times of, you know, just me falling in love deeper and deeper in love and what has that process been like. Uh, but as we kind of like get to the end, um, with each of these steps, we have a, a scripture passage we wanted our, our leaders to really kind of focus on. Um, it kind of centralizes like why, why this thing, why is this important? Uh, so I, there are actually a lot of um, great scripture passages that uh, teach you about how to fall in love with Jesus. Um, I mean, that's kind of the Bible, but... Um, <laughs> There, uh, we, we picked one, and of course it's from Romans. And if you don't know the story of Paul, his, his story is literally somebody whose life got flipped upside down uh, from a confrontation from Jesus. Like he went from persecuting Christians to becoming kind of the example of a Christian, of a faithful follower of Jesus, a sinful follower of Jesus, but a faithful follower of Jesus. So much, like his life got flipped upside down so much that um, from persecution, he went to travel um, the ancient Near East to just profess the faith and be the like kind of original missionary of planting all these churches and encouraging all these churches um, to, to rise up and find faith in Jesus as opposed to all these other religions, all these other things. Like talk about somebody who just was literally confronted and blinded by Jesus to only be, you know, be made seen again and for his life to completely change. And so as he's, you know, writing all these letters, you can see that clearly in his work, um, that his life has been flipped upside down because of his relationship with Jesus. Um, he goes to the Romans and he writes this letter. Um, and uh, Romans is very deep and very long and there's so much you could say about it. But I pulled out Romans 12, and it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, 
which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And you can really zoom in on the word sacrifice. And uh, it's a bit of a, a point to, to who Jesus was um, and why our faith is in Jesus as this ultimate sacrifice for our sake. Uh, but as you become a believer um, and as you have faith in Jesus, you should also resemble this sacrifice, this total depravity of your sinful self, like getting rid of and shedding off um, your old ways of living. And as he says, is renewing your mind, renewing it to the way of God's. Um, so the, the story of the Bible is, you know, we were once in tune with God and we fell away because of our, our sinful nature. And Jesus allows us, this is very quick, Jesus allows us to restore um, that in tuneness with God and that oneness with God. And so when we renew our minds and become a living sacrifice, we be, our will and our ways no longer become ours and we become more in tune with who God is and his will. And we ultimately want that will above uh, our own. And that's what it means to be growing in our faith is we're wanting more of his way above our own. Um, and it, it, like hopefully, like as we grow as Christians, um, it becomes unclear. Is this my will or his will? Um, because it's becoming one. And it's an, amaz an amazing marker of your growth in faith. So the, the thing about he's in, in Romans is um, you, you start to see that obsession just kind of overtake somebody who believes. That a sacrifice means you got to completely give something up. Like completely. Like why would you do that for anything other than something you're in love, love with and totally believe in? You don't just up and sacrifice something you don't care about. Um, we could get into the whole sacrificial system in, in the Bible, but we're not going to. But you, you sacrifice things based off something that you want and you desire. Like at to the deepest level of losing it or losing something. Um, and that's what it means. Um, what what are we willing to sacrifice? Um, and Paul says that we we should be willing to sacrifice ourselves for this. There's not much more to it, and this is kind of the simplest one and the one that seems the most obvious. But it really can be the hardest thing to start. Um, if you don't start here, nothing else will make sense. Um, the other steps won't fall into place. This is the non-negotiable. Uh, for s stepping into bringing the gospel in your home and bringing the gospel to your teenager and living it out among your family and your neighbors. And you can go deeper than that. Um, but in order to make our job easier as youth workers, um, we have found over the years that if the family uh, is faithful and obsessed with Jesus and what it means to be faithful to God, our job is um, almost boring. And <laughs> it just changes the it does. Um, there is a whole lot more joy, and there is a whole lot more ease of conversation. Um, you know, there's a lot more directness to it. Uh, and when conflict arises, yeah. it's just a different totally scenario. Yeah, but that's you know we, we're not trying to like work ourselves out of a job. Although that would be really cool <laughs> if that were the case. You know, for that reason, let's let's yes. put, put it that way. But. It's got to start with you, mom and dad. It's got to start uh, there. 
um, for it to trickle down, for it to overflow um, into your child's life. Um, it can overflow from other things and other people, but why would it not be from the people that gave them birth? Um, it's, it's a remarkable thing to think about and really dwell on and pray about and, and invest more time into. Um, you have to read more, get into scripture. You need to pray more. Um, everybody says that all the time, but like, are we doing that? That's, that's a question. Are we seeking the Lord daily? I remember that being such a shift for myself because for so long, I really, I'm not trying to be funny, I really did not understand that like reading the Bible was for me. I thought it really was truly like this discipline that like the Lord has asked me to do that I needed to get done. And I, I've tried to explain that to our children of like, you know, the, the gift of time with Jesus or the gift of spending time in his word is not for him. It's ultimately for us. Will that bring him glory? Sure. But like the gift is ours. And and that's my encouragement to anyone listening is that don't be ashamed if you don't know how to start. Like I have felt like that as an adult of like, I don't know how to do a daily devotional. Like that really was hard for me. And so I had to seek someone out and was like, I don't know how to do this. Like I don't do well sitting down in the morning like that's not my personality and so it was really helpful to have older wiser people or just wise people speak into my life give me resources because they exist and like if you're not someone who can sit in a room with a journal that's okay like I learned to walk and pray out loud like just you know like don't don't let simple things stop you um, yeah and don't let shame stop you if you're like I'm like an older Christian, I should know how to do this. Like, don't let that stop you. And to, I, I can remember times in my own life where I was like, Lord, I don't even know how to pray anymore. I feel like, and asking the Holy Spirit, like, hey, but that's what you offer. Just like, you don't know where to start in this. Ask for help from God. Start there. <laughs> and He's faithful and He wants that for you too. So, yeah. this is a great reminder for me. Yeah. Which is, you know, a lot of things to go off what you said is like why we lead into the next step, which is to become a disciple. It is hard and we are not meant to navigate this life alone. And especially trying to be uh, faithful to God. Um, he wanted us to do that in community and for us to learn from people that have gone before us. So in order to maintain the first step, we've uh, worked towards this next step, which is becoming a disciple. And we'll talk about more about that in the next episode. Cliffhanger. So you gotta wait forever. Um, we'll give you a whole month to fall in love with Jesus, and then we'll tell you what to do with that. Because uh, we were super clear this time, right? Yeah. Yeah. Super clear. Well, we uh, love y'all. We're glad it's 2021, as most people are. Yes. Everything has changed because change is inevitable, <laughs> full circle. <laughs> we'll see you, or you'll listen to us next month. All right.